0: Hello and welcome to the Organic Gardening Podcast. I'm Sarah Brown and I'm joined by my friends and colleagues from Garden Organic, Chris Collins and Anton Rosenfeld. In these extraordinary times, we thought we'd put a special episode together to help you garden during lockdown. We're all confined to home and many of us are worrying about access to fresh produce. We want to be able to feed our families when supermarket shelves are bare. So we've come up with a few practical tips to help. Chris and I discuss making an instant veg bed, if you have the space, and we talk about what you can grow in containers on a balcony or patio. In the true organic way, we also help you make your own plant fertilizer for free and feed the soil for those hungry plants. Later, Anton and I raid the store cupboard to see what seeds we can sprout and sow to keep you in greens over the next few weeks. Lentils, beans, dried peas, even curry spices such as mustard and coriander seeds can all work. And because it's April and seed sowing time, we're here to help you if your first sowings didn't germinate. Finally, our interview this month is all about potting compost. I met one of the country's specialists in growing mixes and she spent over 30 years creating that perfect mix. I found it fascinating to learn exactly what goes into the bag. As always, we're grateful to our sponsor, the Organic Gardening Catalogue. You can shop online with them and you can find nearly everything you might need to support your organic growing. And if you're a member of Garden Organic, you get 10% off everything. So just go to www.organiccatalogue.com. There's a lot to take in and we hope to inspire you. Now, being a lockdown special, you'll notice that the three of us hadn't been able to meet in the potting shed. So we've been talking down the line instead. I hope you can forgive the few blips in the sound quality. Sit back, watch the spring buds unfurl, enjoy the birds and the butterflies and all that nature has to offer this special month. For gardeners, it's a time of renewal and hope.
1: Hi chris how are you Hi Sarah, i'm very well how about you ah uh, well
0: i've got the tail end of a cold you know common or garden cold nothing yeah. scary forgive me i'm a bit blocked and a bit croaky no
1: problem <laughs> i hope you recover soon
0: uh-huh, thank you um chris i think we should get straight to the point here we're all stuck at home we're locked in and looking out and if you've got a garden this is the chance for you to get out enjoy it but more importantly maybe make that garden help you in being a little bit more self-sufficient maybe start growing some veg what do you think chris
1: yeah definitely i think that our garden spaces our outdoor spaces are limited we well, now we're in a limited area are going to become incredibly important over the next well how long you know three weeks for two months we don't really know so it's a great time to engage both with your garden but also with nature there's lots going on nature is marching on without us so you know it's good to sort of see what's happening you're
0: absolutely right my chickens are still blithely laying eggs every day so they don't know about coronavirus let's start right at the beginning if you're new to gardening you're looking out onto a lawn with probably looking a bit sad after after winter and you're thinking can i make an instant veg bed
1: what what would be your advice chris well certainly that's not a problem at all i mean you can you can either take out a square you know, a couple of square metres if you want, take the turf up, dig it over, put a bit of compost in and get it ready like that. I think a raised bed's quite a good idea because you can pop that straight outside the back door so you're near the kitchen or whatever, so you've got access to maybe growing some quick crops like rocket lettuce salad cup again but if you don't have a balcony I've actually just yesterday I've got a big sort of trough sort of well, window box really a chunky window box and I, I, um, I sowed a little bit of salad leaves and rocket and stuff in there and I'll start to graze that in the coming weeks so it's very easy to get started with these sort of simple grow your own self sufficiency sort of jobs.
0: Excellent and I think also let's go back to the organic principles if you're going to start making a new bed for growing your veg you've got to feed that soil because the soil is going to feed the plants. So if you can, if you're making a new bed and you've dug out some turf, then if you've got some compost on an old compost heap, put it onto the soil because the organic matter in the compost will start feeding the soil and the soil life in it. And that will then in turn feed the plants that you put into it. If you haven't got a compost heap, it's not too late to start. The best thing to do is when you're weeding and clearing out all those weeds, which are now coming through, throw them onto the heap. their foliage will rot down, put any veg peelings, any scrumpled up bits of paper, cardboard or whatever, water it, turn it and within a few months you're going to have that lovely dark black gold which is going to feed your new veg bed.
1: Sounds good to me, I think uh, maybe the other thing to say as well is make sure when you're sowing your veg, especially if you're new to it, is make sure you're sowing drills, so put a little line out, say two bits of bamboo and a bit of string and sow along that and that means when the weeds start coming in you'll be able to tell your lettuces from the weeds because they all look very similar when they germinate
0: so that's that- a very good tip chris i would have thought it's a little bit early to start sowing seeds out of doors now would you agree
1: well i, I think it's a little bit early i mean we had a frost here two nights ago and i've seen very few of them this winter in fact my tulips are all flowering on the balcony and they're very early and it says how mild it's been so what i've done actually down the allotment is i've put fleece down over my two beds where i'm going to sow the quicker crops or the carrots and the, the root crops i put fleece down just to move that soil along a bit and warm it up a bit so i'll be looking to sow into those beds as soon as i can to be honest with you i'm chomping at the bit but obviously if you're um, further north and the weather's colder you might have to hang on a bit longer
0: and as always, us gardeners have an eye on the weather forecast. So even though it's nice and warm during the day, you can still get that snap frost at night. You're right.
1: You get radiation frost. Well, like, I mean, it's a beautiful day today. In fact, I was actually on my balcony sunbathing yesterday. That's how warm it was. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, south facing balcony. But it's... Um, what happens is it gets very really beautiful day, then the heat rises, doesn't it? At the end of the day, the heat rises, the cold sets in, and you get radiation frost, which can check the growth of your plants.
0: And April is such a changeable month. It's very, very beautiful with blossoms and the first flowers coming out, but it is very changeable in terms of temperature.
1: Yeah, it's not, it's not um, quite summer yet. That's for sure. And you will get cold snaps. <laughs> I hope we get some April showers this year. I haven't seen any April showers for a little while. I always enjoy them. That freshness you get after you get that quick downpour and all the All the birds love it as well, and they're all singing away. I love those spring days.
0: I think another thing I'd like to say is that, it is still April. It is still early in the growing year. So don't feel you've got to rush out and get everything into the ground straight away. Go back to the principles of getting your ground good, getting the soil rich and healthy. And if you can delay it a little bit before you sow or plant out, you're not going to lose anything at all. You're, you're going to be fine. By May, you know, you'll be absolutely up and running. So don't rush into it is my first advice.
1: Yes, I think that um, it's very easy to get carried away and. Um, you need to just kind of hold the horse back a little bit. Saying that, I am doing seed sowing indoors because I've got quite a few propagators. Um, I've got the most of them, like quite a few in my office. So I have put in my courgettes, so I put in bits and bobs, I put in some flowers. I'm going to do night scented stock and begonia. So I am starting to get going a little bit. I'm just not exposing myself to the climate that much at the moment.
0: Yes, and we've got a very good, helpful tip on successful sowing either on the Garden Organic website or go to last month's podcast because I did a little masterclass with one of the Garden Organic gardeners about actually how to sow seeds Chris I'm guessing the ones that you sowed over the past few weeks are now ready to pot on in other words they've got a little bit leggy and a little bit too long for their seed compost give us some tips on how you would pot them on
1: well I I would prick them out I'm a big believer in pricking out because I think uh, and sowing in one tray and then moving them onto more space by pricking out because I think you get a stronger plant that way so I have a do I have a a little crop of um, little gem lettuces here are up and running and they're quite thickly sown so I will I'll prick them out now into a bigger seed tray and I'll probably put five by eight, five across, eight um, down. And what I'll do is I'll make sure the most important rule is always lift the seedlings by the leaves. Never the stem, never the roots, because if you damage the stem or the roots, you'll lose the seedling. But they can take a little bit of grief on the leaves. But also a very important implement, get yourself a dibber. You can use a pencil, that will act as a dibber, but get a dibber and gently tease them out and then plant them right up to their necks. So put them in a the new compost, but plant them deep because they'll shoot roots from the stem. Once they're in there, and you'll get a really strong little plant that you can put out onto your allotment when the time comes or out into your garden.
0: Oh, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. It's that going deep, isn't it, that gets that plant strong again. Yes. And as I say, don't rush to put them out. Let them get their strength. Not least because if they're too leggy and too weak, the second you put them out, they'll either be killed by the frost or you can bet your bottom dollar they'll be munched by slugs and snails.
1: The other good little rule, and I learned this from uh, the Garden Organic many mo- uh, moons ago, is stroke and turn because what you do there is you don't want, if you still got them in the window or, in a, or inside, now what they'll do is they'll elongate they'll stretch to the light because light levels tend to be very much lower in the house so turn them a few times a day just run your hands over them so you're mimicking the wind and that'll all add to this strong stocky little plant that you're after
0: um okay so now there's also a good time this month to get on with those jobs that you always meant to do you're stuck at home you're looking outdoors you're thinking how can i get out what can i do do you remember about cleaning the greenhouse tidying the shed cleaning the tools they sound like chores but you know they are very satisfying things to do
1: yeah i think so you know i think there's one danger you want you you want to avoid and that's maybe just slumping on the sofa too much and watching that tv and you've got to keep yourself occupied i think because otherwise in a few weeks you'll start to get a bit down i reckon and this is a well-being thing as well as organizing things i have to say my allotments never look so tidy and organized to be honest with you because i'm just happy pottering around i think gardeners love to potter so get out and potter and you know just feel the nature and, and clear your mind it's very very important at this time i believe
0: I agree with you, Chris. And I think spending time absorbing what nature is offering, especially this time of year, is just time really well spent. And if you're at home with the kids, get them involved. Download some apps which let you identify birdsong, butterflies. There's quite a few butterflies coming out this month different types of bumblebees. Did you know how many different types of bumblebees there were? There's lots of apps which will help you do that. And if you and your kids get out and spend a little bit of quiet time just exploring, listening, watching, I think then you connect with nature. And the thing that nature does, it gives us hope and renewal. And that's what we need at the moment.
1: Yeah, well said i think also you know it's nice family activity it's a great way to spend time together and that's very important and i will say there's so so much going on i sat here earlier and there are bumblebees on my balcony in the high synth. i saw three little blue tits bathing in the little tray of water i put out for them so there's loads going on and it really is uplifting it really is
0: i've got another little tip if you've got kids that and you want to get out into the garden with them now this one it comes with a health warning a safety warning let's put it this way Why not make a nettle feed with your kids? Now, what's a nettle feed, you might ask? This is when you use a plant like a nettle and you soak it in water. And as it soaks, it rots down and releases its minerals and its nutrients into that water. And then in a few weeks time, you've got a very powerful liquid fertilizer. So. Get on the gloves. Be sure to get on those gloves on everybody. Go out with a carrier bag or a basket or a cullender or whatever, a bucket. Fill it with nettles. And I've certainly got plenty of those around coming out in my garden at the moment. Squash them down top the bucket up with water and then leave it, leave it for a few weeks. And as I say, at the end of it, you'll have a very smelly but very potent liquid fertiliser for all those veg and flowers that you'll be growing.
1: Yeah, it's very good, very good, especially for the the salad crops and the leafy crops, because it's very high nitrogen, isn't it? And it'll just boost them on. OK,
0: now, if you don't have a garden... What do you think, Chris, we can recommend for people to grow in containers? This huge urge for self-sufficiency, which I completely understand. You've only got pots. What, what can you put? I know you can put potatoes, for instance, in a deep bin, a recycling bin or a dust bin. Can you think of other things that you can grow easily in containers?
1: Certainly. On the, um, on the uh, potato thing, um, subject, just quickly, a really good uh, project with the kids is to get a hessian sack and um, get your potato sets. Rocket is a good one. It's very fast-growing. And fill it up a third, plant your potatoes in that. And as the potatoes grow, add more soil, earth up all the way to the top of the sack, and you'll get potatoes right the way through it. It's quite a nice little trick to do with the kids. For other stuff, I mean, there's nothing you can't grow on a balcony, really. But I, again, I will say those kind of quick salad crops, which you can have fresh salads in. So things like cut and come again salad, lettuce, root. Uh, rocket i'd grow a lot of spinach which is quick to do perpetual spinach also i've got a little container where i've just sowed some coriander some parsley so i can graze some herbs as well and you can if you want i always do i always like to put a bit of color through my edibles so i've got that potage going so you can actually put out some primroses and stuff i've just done that this morning so there's a lot you can be doing in pots just remember to spend 10 minutes of your time or 20 minutes of your time every day to make sure everything's okay
0: and if you haven't got potting compost because you missed the boat getting that before you were locked down ordinary soil is absolutely fine but just keep on top of those weeds because they will appear
1: Yes, they will. You know, make sure that you, uh, you nip them quickly. I was on the allotment at the moment. I tend to go around with a hoe. I've got things like speed well and stuff coming up. I don't mind them growing in some areas, but obviously where my main cropping is. And I'll just, what I'll do is I'll go along with a hoe and just turn the roots up to the sun. And that, that kind of solves the problem.
0: Chris, I thought of another fun thing to do with kids is to make a pond. Now, it doesn't have to be big. Your garden pond doesn't have to be massive. It could be just a metre square. But if you get digging and if you can find something to line your hole with so the water doesn't drain away, I mean, ideally pond liner, but the chances of you getting out to get that are slim. So maybe you've got a sheet of plastic or something you've lined the hole with and then fill it up with water. Like magic, you will find over the next few weeks, pond life will start appearing without you having to do anything for it. Isn't that right, Chris?
1: Yeah, it's perfect. I mean, they they really are probably the best things for wildlife in a garden. If you're worried, if you've got wee ones and you're worried about water, you can also, and and you're worried about lining it, you can also put some plastic or whatever and puncture it and backfill the soil put a few rocks and get a bog garden, and they're also really good for wildlife.
0: Oh, that's a nice idea. Rather than actually trying to hold the water into a pond, just have a very damp area to grow in. Exactly.
1: Yeah, they really do. I mean, uh, they really, really do... Attract the wildlife; they're great.
0: If you start seeing frogs, dragonflies, all sorts of things, and the yeah. birds will like it; they'll come down and drink from it as well. Certainly. So, Chris, you've been going to the allotment. I, I don't see any government advice that say we can't do that. Obviously, so long as you keep your distance, and there's things going on in the allotment that need looking after. Tell me what you've been doing there recently.
1: Yeah, well, i i I think as far as the government are concerned, we can use the allotments, but obviously social distancing is quite important. um when I'm, tra- when I'm walking down there, it's about 15 minutes walk for me i had my, my my surgical gloves on and my mask which is a really bizarre way everybody else has as well and it just shows you the times we're living in but i went there yes, uh, yesterday and the day before there's nobody there to be honest with you there's a lot of old boys on the allotment i think maybe they're they're staying away but it's a crucial time isn't it we're just getting going so i, I prepared the ground i've uh, put in my onions i put in my potatoes old school style i've uh, planted them in a nice deep trench 30 centimeters deep 30 centimetres across Put them on the stagger, then earth them up. So they're all in. Um, and also, I put in a little tropical border, a, a little bit of an ornamental border. So I put in canna, um, summer bulbs, dahlia, and giant lily. So that's going to come up with a really good floral display down the side of the allotment.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. I love this mixed planting. So you've got veg and flowers all mixed up together.
1: I do. I love potage, and I love throwing them all in together. And I think, uh, you know, as the principals say, not having something that's too dominant. That, that then leads to more pest problems, et cetera. Make sure you your growing space is nice and varied and then you tend to get much more of a, an equal balance in your growing plot.
0: That sounds really good. Well, I'm, I like to picture you having good times on your allotment.
1: Well, I'm, I'm, always so- happy. I'm always happy when I'm down there. It's like it makes me kind of realize, especially the older I get, the more the, how important it is just to spend that time
0: yeah okay well stay safe stay well and it's good to speak chris and who knows next month we may actually be seeing each other but if not sarah, i'm quite happy on skype
1: we got it sus now haven't we we're uh, we've got the electric sus. i have anyway so this is this is quite a nice way to do it as a, as a backup isn't it well
0: if they can do the weather forecast on tell you from somebody's sitting room i think we are doing pretty well doing ours as well it's
1: always <laughs> lovely to chat to you sarah and i look forward to seeing you again and get over that cold eh?
0: thanks chris bye well, After all that busy activity with Chris, I thought it would be nice to settle down for a quiet moment with a cuppa and listen to this month's interview. It's all about potting composts. Most of us have bought a bag or two and we use them for potting on, hanging baskets, even ubiquitous tomato grow bag. We wanted to investigate what goes into the bag to help us all make an informed choice as an organic consumer. It's important for instance that you buy peat-free compost Peat has been extracted on a massive scale in the UK for over 50 years now, destroying or degrading over 90% of our special wild peat bogs and seriously contributing to global warming. Not many people know that peat will store more carbon per meter than a forest and by digging it out we've not only destroyed that carbon store, we've also released the carbon gases into the atmosphere peat isn't necessary in potting composts. Recent research has created peat-free alternatives which now match or even outperform their peat-filled counterparts. Gone are the days of poor results. Yes, you will be paying a bit more, but by buying the best, you know your compost will support your precious plants. Catherine Dawson is Technical Director at Melcourt. You may know their products, they're known as Silver Grow. She has spent the past 30 years perfecting the right mix for the perfect potting compost. She shared with me what went into each bag and we even donned high vis jackets to plunge our hands into industrial sized mountains of this dark gold. Catherine, what I'd like to do is go right back to the beginning and ask you, why was peat used in the first place? What gave peat its popularity? came along
2: at a time when, in days gone by, the nursery industry relied on, on bare root plants. Deciduous plants were lifted in, in the winter months, sold bare root in, in nurseries. Garden centers didn't exist. The rise of the garden center meant that they, they were very keen on, on year-round sales. To extend the selling season, once you put something in a container, you can sell it at any time of year. Peat was discovered because it was a local ingredient this country has a lot of peatland, had, a lot, had of peat. a lot of peat. Because the container is
0: transportable, you can put it under cover, That's you can correct. control the watering, you can control the conditions in which the plant is growing. Exactly, and most importantly, or as importantly,
2: you can keep it in that pot during the summer months as long as you look after it, which you couldn't do with a bare root plant. So almost immediately you've extended the garden centre selling period. And what did peat bring to the pot? It brought lightness. If you have soil in a pot, anybody who likes John Innes composts will know that soil is very heavy. If you're transporting a lot of pots um, overland to to the garden center from the nursery, weight costs money in a lorry. Also the nursery workers, if you're lifting a tray of soil-based compost plants, a lot heavier. Soil is inherently variable. It holds weeds if it's not sterilized. Sterilizing it is a time-consuming, costly process, but the variability is if you're a nurseryman trying to produce a a uniform um, grade out of plants. So for all sorts of reasons, peat came along as this wonder material, largely weed-free, very good growing medium, and there's, there's no doubt about it that if properly prepared, the right particle size grading and all of that, and properly fed and limed, Peat is a brilliant growing medium. It's been one of the problems for the peat alternatives <laughs> industries to produce something that's quite as good, but actually do it differently with materials that didn't necessarily re- react in the same way, from a lime, a nutrient, or water point
0: of view. So let's talk about those materials. Can you give me the key materials that you use, that Melcourt uses in their bag compost? Yes. And for
2: the industry in general, there are still, at any realistic commercial level, only four alternatives to peat that are being used in any quantity at all. Only four. Four. Give me the four. Wood-based materials, coir, green compost, which has um, Mm. issues but is used, and bark. Okay. Now, there are all sorts of other materials being used. People will be saying, oh, but what about this, what about that? Yes, but none of them is being used
0: in any sort of quantity compared to these these four. Can we unpack those four then and look at them individually? Mm. Let's start off with the wood fibre. Mm -hmm. Any sort of wood? In this country, the only volumes of wood that are available
2: in sufficient quantity are softwood, coniferous. There is no big enough hardwood uh, timber industry in this country that a residues industry could rely on. So it's all coniferous. And the woods that are available, obviously the spruces are the most available, pines, Douglas fir, larch. Softwood. Most of the growing media companies are using a almost like a wood wool. It's a bit like rock wool made out of wood. Fibrous, light, fluffy, reasonably inert, reasonably low in pH and nutrients, which means you have a blank canvas. It's always easier with a growing medium ingredient if you have low pH, low nutrient, because then you're in control. Then you can lime up to whatever pH you want. You could add nutrients. I was that going to type. say,
0: where does this wood find? Is it a waste product from trees that have been cut down for other purposes?
2: No, nothing on a wood on a tree is waste anymore. It all has a financial value. The wood that we use. Um, not a a highly it's not extruded at all it's more a screened out wood residue Mm -hmm. the one that people will encounter in a lot of other products is a more wood wool a much lighter okay ours is more um, of a screened out material from from other uses but it's still good commercial value to, to the sawmill so it's in no way a waste
0: so I, I think that's the point that I'm getting at with each of these ingredients is what their, for want of a better phrase, their sustainability in, yes. in, uh, credentials are. What about bark? Bark, likewise,
2: is a forest residue. The first thing that happens to a log when it comes in from the forest, it goes through a debarker. The bark is taken off and then the, the log goes off to have whatever its purposes done to it. We take the bark the one thing we try and avoid is chopping it because that's a very energy consuming process. Like the wood
0: fibre it's providing this looseness in structure. What else does it bring to the bag? Well the bark that we use um, in growing media is very much at the
2: the very fine end so six millimetres and down that sort of size again trying to get moisture holding capacity Um, Bark is inherently low in pH, a pine bark starts at about 5 to 5.5, very useful because then you can just add a little bit of lime to bring it up a little, provide a bit of calcium and magnesium. A growing medium in a pot provides anchorage for roots, provides the air, the water and the nutrients. That balance of air and water, particle size, contributes to that. It's the main contributor to to the amount of water versus the amount of air that a compost will hold. And the skill is for the particular plant group getting the right amount of air, the right amount of moisture. Now in a large pot with a tree that might be in there for 18 months, two years, if you imagine a 50 litre pot, the amount of weight bearing down on the lower layers, you need a very strong compost that's going to withstand that gradual slumping and that slump towards airless moisture high water holding conditions that will Mm. kill the roots Mm. Um, and that's where a chippy bark can be really useful because it's got a good amount of structural strength when you've got a very small pot say a nine centimeter that weight bearing down is nothing like the same and so you don't need to have such it's a, a bit finer yes yeah. but,
0: but i'm guessing the third element in the bag the coir is also there not from the nutrient point of view necessarily but from the structure is that right we use coir for moisture holding coir
2: loves moisture um should we just explain what coir is coir yes coir fiber it is the outside layer of a coconut the fibrous immediate coating of this used for matting for roping and all that kind of thing the bit that horticulture uses is the fibrous bit on the very outside the Um, hairy bit of the coconut uh, yes although the wiry hairy bits that get used in brushes we don't want actually they're a nuisance they they wind themselves around augers and potting equipment and all of that we we want the fiber the fine fiber we are always up against moisture holding capacity the woods and the barks they they still don't tend to hold quite as much moisture as an average sphagnum peat. So for us the coir is the thing that just helps that. We use the coir to almost wick the water
0: into the corners of the compost. Very interesting and of course we're now, in terms of sustainability, we're now sourcing our ingredients away from local Mm -hmm. because I know a lot of people are concerned about the Mm -hmm. footprint of bringing coir to this country.
2: travels reasonably efficiently. After it's been prepared in the country of origin, it's dried using natural drying of the sun. It's then compressed on a one to six basis into very compact blocks, which are then palletized and put in a container and brought to this country or wherever by ship. The emissions from shipping per ton per kilometer um, It's one of the lowest emissions of any transport form. Now, people will be thinking "But hang on a minute, I've heard that shipping is one of the largest emitters of carbon. Possibly possibly true because of the number of ships out there, but per tonne per kilometre, which is the way I think you have to look at it, 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 it's much better than, say, lorry transport or air freight or that kind Mm. of thing.
0: So you could almost compare a lorry from way up in the north of Scotland bringing wood fibre down to the south of England with Oya being transported from Sri Lanka
2: to the South. Obviously, ideally, it wouldn't be done and we certainly are always on the lookout for materials that
0: might enable us to have less reliance on coir. But I want to just keep digging into this bag that I bought from the garden centre and I've come up with the fourth ingredient which is the green compost also known as green waste. Yes green
2: green waste being the material that we all put in our green bins and that gets collected at uh, civic community sites that gets chopped composted and um, compost is a very high heat it comes at a very high ph often in excess of eight it's got a high nutrient level all of these things can be harnessed particularly the high nutrient level it delivers its nutrients in a nice gentle slow release way so it has a huge value in that respect but we need to know you need to know more about it we remember i mentioned the blank canvas that anything yes. with a low ph and a low nutrient content it makes the job of a growing media manufacturer much easier because we start with this um empty bowl if you like with green compost, the bowl's half full already with, uh, with nutrients that we
0: have to ac- account for. We need to be cleverer, in mm-hmm. a sense, to deal with those. And like any compost, even homemade compost, those nutrient levels will vary according to what's gone into the heap. As a professional user, as a manufacturer using these materials, we have to look at every batch. We've got the four component parts that are in the bag, the wood fibre, the bark, the coir and in some cases in green compost. You've explained the thought that goes into creating the right structure for the plant roots to develop, and that involves aeration and moisture. Let's talk about nutrients. How do you get the nutrients into the bag to feed that plant? Um,
2: Well, obviously the basic requirements of most plants are NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and and trace elements. It's fairly well-worn territory, the ratios of the NPK and the trace elements that are required. And so we don't spend too much time trying to reinvent any wheels organically. We have to do it differently, obviously. We can't use our artificial fertilizers Mm -hmm. that go into the conventional range. We, we, We purchase in a compound soil association approved organic fertilizer that uses a wide range of organic sources, including the hoof and horn, dried blood, the bone meal, the vine waste, the the various plant and animal Mm -hmm. derived fertilizers. Mm -hmm. And then it's simply a case of putting enough organic fertilizer in for the product to work. But now that we sell into the retail world, we have to be mindful that that product could also sit on a garden center shelf for quite a while. Now, organic fertilisers start to mineralise, in other words, become available from the minute they get damp. The microbes get to work and do their thing, which is turning the organic fertiliser, the organic nutrients, into a mineral form that is then available to the plant.
0: So have we got to the stage then that we're going to have best before dates on potting compost bags? Well, fresh compost is always best. On the
2: back of our packs... We advise use within the season of purchase, um, but you're right. Even if the bag is sealed, Even it's if, to do with what's happening inside the it bag, is in The it? bags, they are sealed, but they're not watertight because you have to have little holes in the bag to let it breathe. All I would say to anybody buying a bag of compost anywhere, whether conventional or organic, is try your best to view the bag. Does it look fresh? Does it feel really, really heavy? Is it dripping water out of the bottom? Because we've had that. Mm. If it is, don't buy it. Go and see the garden centre manager and say, you know, you shouldn't be selling this compost.
0: Or even engage with the store in the first place and say, how recent is that delivery? Mm. Gosh, I'm being taken down areas I never knew... (laughs) This wonderful, this world of composting. It's interesting for the listener to understand that the point of this particular interview is to talk about peat-free compost and what goes into it. And you have a range of peat-free compost and one of the prime producers. But if you're deep green organic, then you will need to buy the organic bag compost. Is the higher price, and let's be honest, it is a higher price. What does that reflect? It reflects that the ingredients
2: are higher in price. However, I, I have a particular bee in my bonnet actually about the price of retail comp- composts. So I, I, I do feel that our industry has allowed growing media to be viewed by the gardening public as a cheap add-on at the end of your purchasing. The thing that you stick in the car at the end that has a low value when in fact it's a fundamental building block of good gardening. And if it goes wrong in the spring, or indeed at any time, it's really disheartening. It really matters. We should be championing growing media. And one of our bags might cost somebody, sorry about this comparison, but the same as a bottle of wine, which might be gone in, depending who you are, (laughs) might be gone in an evening. You think of the potential of a bag of growing medium at, say, £6.50. Massive potential fun enjoyment in the garden, wildlife value. You think the old adage, you get what you pay for.
0: And I'm with Catherine out in the composting area, and as you can probably hear, there are large forklift trucks, massive lorries moving around us, and bags upon bags of compost. It's heading to the
2: peak season, so we're about as stocked up as we'll ever be. If you like, we can walk down to that end and come back in this direction and have a look at some of the
0: ingredients. Yes, and with your trained eye, you can tell the difference between all these large, dark, brown (laughs) mountains. (laughs) and we're entering an area now where there's a massive tractor so I'm glad we've got our yellow high-vis jackets on I have to say Catherine one of the things before we start is what a nice smell there is here
2: it's the first thing that any visitor to the yard notices it's a piney barky woody sort of smell isn't it nice it
0: is it is nice yes so here we are in front of the first of the great big brown piles what's this this is this is reconstituted coir wow so this is ready to go into the compost Okay, let's move on to the next one before the big digger comes to get us. This is silver
2: fibre, which is um, our brand, if you like, of, of wood fibre. It's our particular recipe that we've developed over the last 25 years. This is the one that's composted with nitrogen, so it's not applicable for organic mixes, but it's a, a very lovely dark brown. Yes,
0: it's darker fibrous. than the fire, isn't it? it also seems to be slightly, is that steam or smoke yes, or something? It's still vapour coming
2: off. Oh, it, it, it's, it's water vapour. It, it's just condensing as it comes out. It's, it's a composting process, and these piles are very, very good insulators. So it, you can have a hard frost on the outside, and burrow your way in through that hard frosted layer, and the heat can be just even just 18 inches down
0: into the pile. Oh yes, that is yes. warm, isn't it's it? It is very warm. Oh, it's lovely. Oh, oh, we've just put out quite a few pheasant. <laughs> it is, I have to say, very rural around here, despite all yes. the heavy machinery. And this is a
2: this is a newt fence, so we we have great crested newts on site. So Right. So now we wander back to where the composts are actually made. We,
0: we've moved from the mountains to a large industrial hangar it looks like. You say it was an old World War 2 aircraft yes, hangar. Yes. <laughs> you can probably hear we're right in the heart of making the mix and also bagging it down at the far end. That's what's making all the noise. Yes. So these are the hoppers of
2: fertilizer. See the big bags up yes. there? Yes. These are, these are highly mechanized dosing units that all the time are dropping exactly the right little sprinkle of fertilizer onto the moving conveyor, which has come in from outside
0: and as always I find it fascinating that the size of the scale of the mix and yet the precision yes, the mechanics yes. of it working. Yes, exactly exactly. We're about to be mown down by a forklift truck so I think we'll move out of the way I think. <laughs> <laughs> Okay Catherine, we're in out of the cold noisy bagging area but that was fascinating. But I see down beside you there's a bag for life. Yes, it's a new scheme
2: that we've started this year encouraged by one of our customers who created a um, a system whereby they buy one of our maxi bales which uses a lot less plastic and then a little bit like the bag for life in a supermarket the customer buys the bag for life the first time it holds about 40 liters the garden center decants from the maxi bale into the bag for life and then the customer keeps
0: coming back with their reusable bag you're solving two problems one you're peat free and two single-use plastic that's that's right kath i'm so grateful to you i've I've learned more about compost and growing media than I ever thought I wanted to know. But it's really been very helpful. I think what it's done more importantly is given us gardeners an informed choice as to what we buy when we buy potting compost. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much. You can hear a much longer version of that interview in our Unpruned podcast series. Here, Catherine and I had more time to explore the sustainability credentials of each item that went into the bag. If you subscribe to the Organic Gardening podcast, you should receive the unpruned version automatically. Now it's time to open the post bag with Anton, my colleague at Garden Organic. We read a number of inquiries about seed sowing from listeners who haven't been able to get to garden centres because of lockdown. It's frustrating at this time of year, particularly not to buy plants or seeds. And buying online is, well, like everything else, dependent on availability. So we began to hunt through our store cupboards to see what you could use to get some quick growing greenery on your windowsill. Anton, it's nice to hear you, not to see you sadly, but it's nice to hear you. Are you well?
3: I'm okay, Thank you. Yeah. Enjoying the sunshine.
0: Good. Excellent. Well, this month we've had a couple of questions about seed sowing and I thought actually we could explore this whole issue because I think with people stuck at home and maybe feeling a little bit cabin fever, but also wanting to grow, wanting to be self-sufficient because we know that the supermarket shelves are empty in some cases. So let's talk about seed sowing and what you can grow at home. The first question is, I've got lots of packets of old seeds. Can I still use them?
3: Okay, so that does depend on quite a few things. Um, It really does depend on how they've been stored for a start. The most important thing is that they've been kept dry and also that they haven't been subjected to high temperatures. So to answer your question, it does also depend very much on the types of seed. Most things in the carrot family Really don't keep that well, especially parsnips. You really need to use fresh parsnip seed every year. So even if you've got seed from a couple of years ago, it's probably not going to germinate very well at all then there's lots of things that will keep for, I'd say, at least two or three years, like um, spinach, chard, lettuce seeds. They all seem to seem to keep for a sort of moderately good length of time. Um, Same with the cucurbits as well. And then I would say tomato seeds, brassica seeds keep very well also. The good thing about brassica seeds is that they come up so quickly that you've got a really good idea of whether they're going to work or not.
0: I mean, I think in these circumstances, if it's impossible, for you to get any new seeds, which it may well be, then just give it a go and sprinkle them on the seed compost and see if they germinate.
3: Yes, they're, they're certainly more likely to germinate if you've sown them than if they just kept in a drawer.
0: Another interesting idea, Anton, which has occurred to me is maybe there are some things in the store cupboard that we could be sowing. I mean, I'm looking, for
3: instance, at a pack of dried beans do you think those would work? Yes, there's all sorts of things in the store cupboard that you can have have a go at. It depends what you're trying to get out of it, I suppose. A lot of dried beans are really great for sprouting. I mean, that's a really good source of sort of fresh nutrition, and they're they're nice as shoots as well. As to whether they'd grow to a bigger stage and you'd get beans off them, it's more of a gamble because they might have been grown in a different country with a climate that's perhaps not the same as ours, so they might, I don't know, they might have different day lengths, different temperatures, which means that they never actually form any pods. But certainly for just growing shoots, definitely. Dried green peas, which are meant for putting in a soup mix, are, are really do work very, very well. I need to say the obvious thing. Obviously, anything which is split peas or anything like that, it's, it's never going to work. I just Or frozen any, peas. <laughs> yeah. There's also things you can get from your spice jars as well. Um, the mustard seeds really, really work well. They really germinate very quickly. Um, fenugreek seeds as well, or methi, they work quickly. You can even sow them in the ground, and you'll get some plants which you can you can use and put in a in a curry. Particularly nice if you put them into chapatis or naan breads or paratas. They get a really nice sort of slightly spicy burnt taste when you put put them in. Because we do need something that's enjoyable at the moment, so just something like that would add a bit of spice to your life. Um, coriander seeds is a bit of a strange one because a lot of them have been steam cleaned so um, if you get ones which look sort of really quite yellow and white the chances are they're not going to germinate very well oh
0: that's um, interesting they've already been treated then
3: yeah i mean they're perfectly edible for cooking but they they've been steam cleaned just to make them look nicer because the coriander seed is actually quite a sort of dirty brown color my experience is that most of the ones in the shops have been steam cleaned now
0: and Anton, I've seen you grow lentils as well.
3: Yeah, you can, grow the, you can grow the brown lentils or the whole green lentils. They're particularly nice as a sprout. You can even grow them into, into a plant. I would say that the amount and the time that you have to take processing them is probably not worth the effort. Although perhaps a lot of us have got plenty of time on our hands now, but it's, it is quite a lengthy, lengthy process. One thing I would say is, and this is something I'd like to try a bit more of, is I think actually lentils would make quite a good green manure as well. They, they, they do cover the ground really quickly.
0: Ah, so you'd grow them in the ground and then before you, they even flower or seed, you'd turn them in like a, a green manure, which is a plant which actually feeds the soil. Exactly. Mm. We've got a lot on green manures in the Garden Organic website, so check that one out. But going back to the store cupboard, what about potatoes? Can you plant a shop bought potato?
3: Yes, I mean, a shop potato will grow into a full size potato plant. Generally, we don't encourage people to do that on a regular basis, because most seed potatoes have been grown in isolation to keep them away from plant diseases. But it's okay to do it occasionally if you really, really have to. Um, One thing I would say is most potatoes in the shops at the moment will be very late maturing varieties for storing. So you are unlikely to get potatoes early on if if you sow these varieties. So I I would probably be more inclined to eat them, to be honest. It's a toss-up, isn't
0: it, between eating it now or maybe planting it now and hoping if you plant one, you may get six in a few months time. So,
3: well, unfortunately, that's what happens in times of famine. People eat their sort of seed stores for for the future because they get desperate. But hopefully we haven't reached that stage yet.
0: I hope not. (laughs) But I'm thinking about um, I think I'm going to put a few out into the garden because even if they, as you say, they're late mature potatoes it means that in six nine months time I'll have some potatoes to eat in the autumn and I'll be so proud of myself for having grown them as well
3: yes I'd say so I mean I think there's a chance I will be, be in for it for the long haul so yeah perhaps we could compromise and eat most of them and leave a few behind for planting
0: now I know a lot of people are stuck at home either without a garden or with little access to growing space and I have huge sympathy there there is quite a lot you can grow on a windowsill.
3: Yeah, there cert- certainly is. I mean, I would go for um, microgreens because really we're going to be sort of probably limited for fresh produce. That's the stuff that's going to trip up first in the, our sort of supply chains. And
0: what do you um, mean by microgreens?
3: These are basically sort of salads which are just grown to a very small stage. And so it's something that's very quick. You can get food within three to four weeks. Particularly the mustard seeds work really well. You, you'll get a sort of spicy sort of rocket-like vegetables Vegetable. Obviously, some people might have not even managed to get hold of compost, but just because it's been taken by surprise. So you can also just sprout things in jars so you don't even ah. need any, any sort of soil for that. Yes,
0: basically. that's very helpful because if you're stuck at home and you have no growing medium, no potting
3: compost, but you've probably got an empty jam jar. The jam jar just basically keeps things moist. Um, ideally, you want to put something over the end of it just to allow the water to drain out, but stop the seeds going down the sink. And One thing I
0: need the, Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you there. You put the seed into the jam jar and you cover it with water.
3: You cover it with water to, to soak it overnight and then you let the water drain out and then you need to rinse it twice a day it's very important to make sure you do rinse it one more really important point it is best just to stick with seeds that are being used for cooking don't use seeds from a seed packet especially if they're not organic they may have been treated with some sort of chemicals so it is important just the safest thing to do is to use seeds which would be used for cooking like mustard seeds green lentils are i think one of my favorite mung beans work well also so yeah anything that's that you You would normally eat
0: just rinse and drain twice a day, and then within a matter of days
3: or weeks, is it that you will start to see the sprouts? You'll see the sprouts appear within a day, and then they'll be ready to eat in about five days. Um, The other thing I need to say is don't put too many in the jar. You really need just I would say about a quarter of an inch of beans in the bottom of the jar because they really do expand and. If you if you half fill the jar full of seeds, you'll find that they, well, it's I've ended up breaking eat. a jar, basically, the force of those beans is quite a lot.
0: Oh, That's a good tip. That's worth knowing. So little and often, I think, is the secret. But that's a fantastic way. If you can't get access to a garden or to any sort of growing medium, you can still get your greens just by sprouting in a jam jar. OK, let's assume you have got your seeds and you're sowing. Now, I, again, we've had a number of questions in the post bag about people who have had problems with their seed sowing they haven't germinated or there's a nasty sort of green growth over the top of the whole seed tray let's talk about these problems first of all no germination at all now that's a difficult one to answer but have you got some ideas
3: there's a number of reasons why that might happen might be either it's been watered too much so that the seed has rotted and that might that tends to happen if you've got bigger seeds or it might be that um, you weren't watering enough sometimes if you didn't sort of tap down the compost there might be just like a sort of air space around around the seed so it's not actually in contact with moisture so the way that you sort of prepare your compost is quite important just to put it in there and then give the tray a good tap to get rid of the air spaces
0: and seed compost is important isn't it because so you want right. a very fine not a very high not a very nutritious compost in which to sow if you can't get specific seed compost then just ordinary soil but so long as it's sieved and tamped down then the seed should be
3: fine yes that that's right uh, if, if you can get hold of it Um, Soil from a molehill works really well They've they've sort of done a lot of the cultivating For you already If you can't get hold of specific seed compost You can sieve the ordinary compost Just to get rid of some of the lumpy bits out
0: Um, I'm going to say What about temperature Where germination is concerned Do you think the temperature
3: isn't right? Yeah that could be another thing It's particularly with things like Tomatoes, aubergines, peppers They need pretty warm temperature So really they ought to be indoors still at the moment They're not going to germinate outside
0: okay so this person is written to say they germinated but there's this rather nasty sort of green growth all over the top of the seed tray and the seeds are not looking very healthy at all What do you think is going
3: on there I think they're well I know that they're overwatering what they've probably done is perhaps compacted the compost a little bit too much. You sometimes get problems called damping off as well. That Can be one of several fungi which attack the, they attack the shoot of the plant as it's coming out, and they, it can end up with just the seedlings falling over. Generally, that's, that problem can be carried in the seed trays as well. So it, it's good to, it's good practice to rinse your seed trays and get all the sort of muck out before you sow them as well.
0: Anton, that's really helpful. I'm conscious that we've made it all sound very complicated, but in truth... I think seed sowing is worth every minute you spend on it just for the joy and sense of achievement when those sprouts first appear, you feel so proud of yourself and so proud of your little seedlings. So my recommendation would be just keep trying. And if it didn't work the first time, try again a second time.
3: I think one simple piece of advice, and we've all got plenty of time on our hands at the moment, is just go and look at them every every day and just feel the compost with your finger and make sure you keep it lightly moist.
0: That sounds great. Thank you, Anton. You you take care and we'll speak next month.
3: OK, look forward to it.
0: Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Sadly, we've come to the end. I hope our chats and ideas have helped relieve the tedium of lockdown. Getting out into the garden or allotment is a good way of coping with the constraints of social distancing. Fresh air, watching the buds burst and the blossom come in is a tonic for the soul. And if you're stuck indoors with no garden, then there's always the jam jar and some seeds to sprout. Every day will bring a new shoot. Next month, Well, who knows what May will bring, but we'll be here and sharing our organic gardening tips with you. And there's plenty more information on the Garden Organic website, gardenorganic.org.uk. And as you can't get to the garden center, why not head over to the organic gardening catalog online for all your seeds and gardening needs. Stay safe, stay well, and enjoy this very special spring and all that it brings. Our thanks to Kevin McCall for providing the music.